You are in the rabbit hole. The rabbit hole was conceptualized upon a deal made with comedian Rob Beckett. Each week we throw a topic of conversation down the hole and see where we end up. Welcome to the rabbit hole. There are few people I admire more in this world than my friend Zoe Hinks. Zoe identifies herself as a theatre maker. She is the owner of Sabotage Theatre, where she writes, directs, performs and even makes puppets, props and costumes for the plays she tours rurally. She is certainly a multi-talented lady. We spoke about the journey of an idea from concept through to performance. Along the way, I gained a little insight into the workings of her creative mind. I hope you enjoy our conversation. So without further ado, come with me now as we go down the rabbit hole. I am Zoe, Zoe Hinks. I um, am a theatre maker, um, which means I do all sorts of things like write plays, make puppets, I perform and direct and um have to sort of fundraise and all of the sort of gubbins around making a play mm. that changes from time to time. Mm. And um predominantly I run a theatre company called Sabotage Theatre. Um and that's the main bulk mm. of what I do. That's my 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 main um mission. But I do work for other companies as well. Theatre is my specialist subject, in particular visual theatre, so mm. theatre that involves puppetry or masks, that sort of slightly more heightened uh, physicality and sort of visual element to what you see. Do you make your characters around your plays or do you make characters and then plays form? Characters are usually quite a good sort of anchor point for the beginning mm. of writing a play. Um, I... I haven't done any sort of formal training or anything like that in how to write plays. Really? So it's all very intuitive to me. With writing shows, it's, it's one of sort of one of those things that every every single time I feel like I'm starting from scratch mm. and have totally forgotten how to do it and it feels like an impossible task and mm. I've already written all of my plays and that's it and, mm. uh, and, and then you sort of get this sort of kernel of an idea mm. and... Also, I know that I have to write another play, otherwise I've given in to that feeling yeah. that it will, um, it will never happen again. God. And then you just sort of slowly, slowly, it sort of starts to come together. See, it must seem like such a huge task from the outset. How, how, does it, how does it work from having an idea and turning it into this amazing piece of performance? Theatre is really collaborative, mm. even if you are in a situation where you're writing and directing an idiot mm. so every, I mean well, particularly with Sabotage my company I mean the, the other performers I work with are they're so um, imaginative and intelligent and are just a constant source of creative ideas and they, they they're part of the puzzle and they're mm. creating characters and creating new parts of um, 
the story all the time in the mm-hmm. rehearsal period. And usually with a script, I, I do a lot of sort of impossible scenes. Yeah. Um, so, and, and this, I just decide what, what happens. Okay. Uh, with no um, suggestion of how we're going to create that on stage and just trust that that will be discovered in rehearsal and mm-hmm. with the director and with, with the performance. And sometimes that director's being. Yeah. Um, and sometimes it's me and someone else. Um, but I think with this next one, I'm quite interested in um, working with a, another sort of puppetry director who is sort of specialised in that area, just so I could learn a bit more about puppetry direction because um, my background in direction is more sort of working with actors. Mm. And it is a, I'm sort of moving more into that sort of um, that physical and visual realm. Mm. So I think the best way to sort of learn directing is sort of through sort of being being directed by others. So I think that's what will happen next time. But yeah, usually I kind of I I have some sort of thing that's annoying me or bothering me um, about the world, mm. <laughs> or or some sort of knot, like some sort of psychological knot, and you know that it's only going to be solved by making a play mm-hmm. in yourself. Mm. so um you just sort of I start to sort of think about it and dream about it and um think about characters and little things mm. and um and then at the moment it's sort of starting with I'll, I'll make a puppet mm. and then I'll think about the pu- like that character and what their journey might be and then you just sort of keep adding bits that sort of make it um more of a meaningful story I suppose mm. so you have a setup and then you go well what how could this be undone and what what, what am I trying to get to the bottom of here mm. and then it's just I just sort of add more and add more and add more and then take it all away and take it all away and take it away mm. and then add more and take it away yeah. and then play with some some other performers and put like write some things and put it on its feet and then go, that works, that doesn't work, take it away, take it Mm. away, put more in. And that's it, really. There's a lot of back and forth. Like These days I I quite like to make a few things quite early on because it's it's nice to have something to look at and something to start playing with. So if you've got a puppet or or a mask, Mm. then the sort of characters and the scripts and the scenarios do start to sort of write themselves a little bit. yeah, and that's it really. And you, I just sort of start to tell people that I'm doing it as well. So I'll be like, oh, I'm going to come write my play today. And probably it will mean that I'm going to go and like stare into space <laughs> um, somewhere and they like, just let my brain do a sort of free association for several hours. And I, I might out of that get like two plot points or something. Yeah. But if you just sort of do that continuously all the time, then somehow like this play emerges. Um, I'm sure that they're much more disciplined and um, structured and reliable ways of writing plays. Um, and if there are, I'd love someone to teach me how to do that. <laughs> but, mm. but, um, so far, yeah, that, that's my method. I think it's a pretty good method. Have you ever thought about like workshopping your method with other people? Mm. Um, I've done some um, workshops in in playing with masks and, mm. and devising and things like that. 
But um, for writing plays, I just, even though I've done a bunch, I still always feel like such a novice every time I start out. Really? Um, and I'm still sort of trying to work out what my own process is. And the only sort of thing that I've worked out is that my process always changes. It involves a lot of um, trying to remove boundaries to my own thinking and then enormous amounts of editing. So I don't know if I'm quite at the workshop stage, yeah. <laughs> really. You know, you were saying that you're quite collaborative with your with the other people in Sabotage. Have they ever changed plot ideas or things like that? When we get to a rehearsal room, mm. I know what the plot is. Mm. And they, they when you, it's, um, it's a bit like having a kid. Mm. Like, not that I have a kid yet. But, um, <laughs> it's on its, it's way. Yes, yeah, it's on its way. <laughs> but it's a, it's, I, I know I'm, I'm going to be guiding it mainly. Yeah. But it's sort of going to be open to little nudges and sort of suggestions at all times yeah but um but generally I know what my story is yeah I'm and I it wouldn't have got to the point where it's on the page Mm. um in a rehearsal room if I did if I didn't know what the plot is like there's a skeleton yeah and to play and so generally like there'll be sort of what the starting situation is and what the kind of challenge or the journey is mm. or um, that sort of thing that changes that. And then there'll be some kind of um, pinnacle to the play, like, which is usually like a change or an undoing or something that just where there's this major shift yeah. in a character or just the way the story is going. And then there's the ending. And like, I should have that. Or at least should have the major change mm-hmm. <laughs> by the time that I get to a, um, a rehearsal. And the rest is really, it's about like the language of telling a story um, of how, how to create a play rather than the plot. So you are you the, saying that you don't always have like a full script? It will just be, you'll have the idea on the paper and then you work with your actors to turn that into... Um, how they, it how is been... a full script. It is a full script. So okay, it, it's a script. Yeah, but people have a different idea of what a script is. Yeah. So, and I mean, it's very, um, I mean, it's very, very different to a film script. Yeah. Um, like a screen, a screenplay, you have how everything looks. Mm. Whereas for me, a theatre play is words. It's just words. You might have some scene direction and if you're writing for puppetry then it is actions but Mm -hmm. they're essentially the words um but you don't try and direct it Mm -hmm. from the script that I think that's so stifling when anybody does that because Mm -hmm. um you're sort of directing from beyond the grave Mm -hmm. and um so you you just provide the words and you don't even really have to you don't want to have all of those answers Mm -hmm. um and and like all of the subtext and how someone's going to do something and all of that, so it's, it just kills it. And wow. um, you have the words in the story and what happens and what happens to people, and then you go to rehearsal, mm. and then those characters come alive. And so, for example, like in Shellfish, um, our last show, mm. and we had a bit where um, Leah she um, she dig she decides to. Um, dig a pond for a goldfish mm. uh, in the garden and it's like 
and I I just wrote that in the scriptures and and then she'll dig the pond and and then they get to move to this bigger pond and say so obviously it's a stage play and there's there is no pond <laughs> and they're, they're also how do we get to that point where she makes that decision is like a little bit woolly mm. and so and how we create that visually and how we create that because we had like goldfish puppets mm. and um and that was all just completely left open and how that was sold was totally through um the collaboration with with lee and sarah who i was working with um and we in the end we decided to like switch the scale up so we had these big goldfish puppets which are sort of full headmask size and then they turned to like tiny puppets yeah. which obviously meant I had to recreate two tiny replica puppets of yeah. them like in the middle of our rehearsal period um which is always a challenge but it's fun but it worked and then, so um, well it was and then we just sort of changed changed all this um the stuff we had like our props and things mm. and rearranged it but that was decided in rehearsal like I didn't think up any of that beforehand in the play I just wrote they dig a pond yeah and so that's that's what I mean it's like that that's the 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 point that is not really variable yes and what happens but how we get there and how we show that that's what you work out later can you just quickly um explain what your inspiration was for we are not shellfish and um and like a very brief overview of the plot just so that people understand what this play was all about um okay i have to cast my mind back because it's hard because obviously i'm sort of in the next one at the moment but um i started writing it um when i was i was working with the seagulls so obviously um the refugee crisis was sort of on my mind and um i was thinking about um borders and um how we sort of not just um like provide aid and all of that sort of thing but how do we sort of shift our mindset Mm. from um dividing humans up in the way that we do Mm. and also I was interested in um the idea of that sort of transition between sort of childhood and and become like finding your way in the world yeah. and um, that sort of preteen sort of going into adult time mm. was sort of quite fascinating for me and um so I yeah so that's sort of where it started and then I've done a lot of sort of focus on like working in Kent as well mm. at home like where I grew up around Romney Marsh area and obviously because that's right um near the like English Channel and so it feels like it's very on the border yeah. and um, we've worked a lot with rural touring and there is a lot of suspicion about migrants and yeah. so it was just something for me where I was like how can we create something that broadens that out with, without getting preachy without um, like I don't know without um, like letting people put their barriers up um so it's it's the story of um a 11 year old girl and she lives on the dungeness mm. um which is if anyone lives in the area or like knows Romney Marsh is sort of on the little toenail like the sort of last tip of mm. Kent mm. pointing out into the city 
Mm. And um, it's quite sort of isolated area, quite dramatic. Yeah. But yeah, she's the daughter of a fisher, fisherman. And um, she's sort of one of these, she's very um, weighed down by all of the, so, you know, the, the worries of today's world for quite a, a young young person. Mm. And one of the things that she does to sort of deal with that is um, collect plastic mm. off the ocean. And she um, she she's just collecting stuff on the beach and one day she finds a, um, a bottle mm. and like a plastic bottle and inside there's a note and on the um, note is a phone number. And it's a child, um, a number of a child in the Calais jungle. Mm. And so they sort of start a, um, yeah, like a communication from mm. that. And she she's not, she's a loner as well. She doesn't have any human friends. So mm. there's this sort of other side of the story where um, they, she, the story is narrated by her goldfish, um, her pet goldfish. And she's got a, a rucksack, which is all sorts another kind of um sidekick um to that and then she's got a um this octopus sort of child psychologist octopus yeah. character which is somebody else who sort of guides her through it yeah. um yeah and then yeah so she she starts this sort of um this friendship with this other child um until uh, one day the messages stop Yes. And she has to decide what to do then. Kent features quite a lot in your plays. I it think. has done in the last sort of five to seven years or something. I'd say that it always crops up. Mm. We do rural touring, so we go to the countryside a lot. Mm. And um, I think that a lot of theatre is made for the cities. I, I think that... Um, uh, not everywhere, not everywhere in the country, but um, I think particularly in the southeast, people go, oh, well, you can just go to the cities, you can just go to London, you go to theatre there. Mm. And I find that really frustrating. Mm. Um, I don't see why theatre should be exclusively for the cities. Mm. And um, I think that um, it's it's really important to make new theatre as well um, for, for areas of people who sort of live alternatively or, or outside these sort of main cultural hubs um, and that work should just be like just as sort of relevant and challenging and political mm. as anywhere else um, and in order to do that you know you need, you need to sort of make it relevant to the people who live there and so it, one one way of doing that is to make it about the places and inspired by the places and inspired by the landscape and the people and the history. Mm. Um, That's another thing you do really, really well, I think, is when you, you your plays are so well thought out and researched and I think you get really into um, understanding the history of the place and bringing all that detail into your scripts. Um, do you think that that's a fair observation? Sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> When I was doing this sort of more historical plays, when I did mm. Owlers and Ravens, I was obsessed with researching all of the little details, and it's, yeah. it's great to immerse yourself in that world. Um, Not so much in the latest one? Well, I think, and I mean, with Shellfish, it, it's, it, 
it is set in Dungeness, but it could be set on any kind of uh, seaside town, mm. um, rural seaside town um, in England. I think that it would work as well. Yeah. And, um, and that I'm moving into a slightly more sort of universal realm, but they're always set a little bit off the beaten track. They're always set um, in sort of more forgotten places. And I think the sort of landscape of South Kent does sort of lend itself to that, yeah. that atmosphere. Um, but I think with the um, with the ones that haven't been historical, um, because with historical plays, I I'm much more um, concerned about sort of trying to get all the little details like as accurate as possible. And if I sort of change them, I need to know that it's a choice that I've made because I know that there'll be somebody in the um, audience who will have studied that period of history and it'll be really irritating to them if there's this fact wrong or whatever. So I understand that. Yeah, I <laughs> so I get like that. Yeah. Um, but with the um, other more recent ones, I mean, it's just, you just bring in um, your experience of the world to mm. to what you're making. So it's not really so much research, it's just life. It's just things that I've sort of processed or thought or read about um, in my life that sort of gets fed into a story. Yeah. I just, uh, yeah, it's, a, it's lovely, though, the way you process thoughts and, um, and then turn them into these amazing plays. Uh, I'd like to understand how your mind works. Um do you have any? I'd like to understand how my mind works. <laughs> that would be helpful. No, I like. I've, I've really felt blessed to have seen you go from um, seeing your whole journey. I suppose since you first started going to theatre school back in I don't know how old were we then, eighteen or nineteen, and and you were you would do the um, auditions to me and my mum over and over again. <laughs> And then, um, and then you went into theatre school. You became this amazing actress, and and then to come out on the other side and to create theatre in such a unique way, it's just very much you. Like you're, um, you're a very unique person, and um, the yeah, I think sabotage is a reflection of that. And I just think it's wonderful how you've gone. I don't want to do theatre in. Um, you want to do, you want to bring it uh, what's the word? Make it more accessible to people in rural areas and things like that, and take theatre to others. Um, it's just really really admirable. So, do you have any uh, strategies for harnessing ideas? How do you know which ideas to follow through with, and what do you do to to make them? Well, I don't. I mean, I don't know which ideas to follow through with. But, but you have a you have a sort of more of a feel of a of like I said like a an issue yeah. which is quite broad. Say, <laughs> and so, um, like I'll I'll just have like a few things I really know. So like with um, ravens, I was like I really I want it to be set in this time. It's got to have a shipwreck. It's it's got to have like um, a flintlock pistol and uh, these sort of things. And um, with um, with shellfish, I had like a few few sort of parts of it, like turning points that I knew, but quite early on, and those are you sort of you hold on to, and then you've just got to make loads of um, commitments to which would really affect other people. Like first of all, you tell everybody 
what what you're doing and yeah. that it will when it will be ready by as many people that you don't want to embarrass yourself yeah. to or let down as possible so for me it's usually like um I'll, I'll tell certain like performers that I want to work with so or um people I want to work with will be like okay I've got this show that I'm making and this is the part you're going to play it's going to be great so you've got that expectation of other people so if you're in, accountable to other people that that means that you'll do it is step one two is i'll try and book as many gigs as possible so <laughs> before it's even written yes so um make sure that i'm like in the in like the fringe festival and like, like any sort of festival that will book us because they've seen work before and they like folkestone for example and they sort of will take a punt on us before they've actually seen the show. Oh, wow. I'll try and get involved in all those things because then I know I've got a deadline. People yeah. are coming to see it. It's got to be ready. I don't have a choice. Yeah. <laughs> like I can't wriggle out of it. Um, that's it, really. If you just set yourself those things, not just like deadlines for yourself that you can move. They've got to be deadlines where people, at the very least, are going to turn up at my house in my living room and I'm going to say I've got a script for a read-through for everyone. Mm. Um, but ideally, it's got to involve really inconvenient logistics and other people's time and money. <laughs> yeah. And if I've got all of those things involved, <laughs> I'm just going to do it yeah. because why would you let all those people down? Totally. And then you just make the time and find the time okay no i think that's i'm going to try and apply that to myself somehow um so that that helps yeah also is the knowledge that if i don't do it i'll be really sad yes yes <laughs> and i'll feel like my life is empty and meaningless yeah and you have that sort of looming void going what what am i doing yeah what's the point all of that comes in yeah. whereas if you find like some sort of form of um work that that chases that away <laughs> for me that's theatre I know that if I'm if I'm doing that you know, all of the other stuff it will just work itself out on that point then um when you finish a play do you have the experience sense of down yeah but you do have like the sort of post-show blues sort yeah. of thing. um but it depends I I don't know I mean usually in, in the last few years, I've wanted to sort of take the shows a little bit further and tour them further. Mm. And so I know that they're not done. Mm. They're not finished. So um, you're just so working on the next yeah. thing. So I don't tend to have that so much. Um, when you know that something's completely finished, there is that sort of sense of, like, it's kind of bittersweet because mm. it's satisfying. Yeah, but um, but at the same time, you know, it's, it's sadness because you the, all of the people and the creatures in that in that story are real to you. Yeah, and then you won't have them anymore, and and you've been spending that time with the the people in your company and rehearsing, and, and then that that goes away for a little while. I think people that people who are very specialist in one area I envy them quite a lot but they just sort of they'll go from one thing to the next so if you're just a performer or um or maybe just a director and you're working on one thing and the next thing and you don't have to do the in-between bits mm. um 
that never really worked out for me. Um, that's um, I'm for some whatever reason I'm someone that I sort of start the whole process again. So I finish the show and then while I'm sort of building that show, I'm sort of dreaming up the next show and then I come out of it and I've got to start writing mm-hmm. and um, working out where I'm going to put on this next show and who might be interested. And then there's at least six to eight months of that sort of preparatory work, um, which is usually quite isolated. Mm. And hopefully I'll have some other creative projects working with some other people to keep insane during that time. But like the vast majority is is not in the rehearsal room and is not performing at all. Um and so and obviously that is the most bonding and exciting and like exhilarating place for me anyway. And so when that's finished, there is always this little slight feeling of loss. Mm. Do you? Uh, that's all right because it will happen again. Exactly. <laughs> you know, yeah. That's why you have to keep doing it again and making those commitments, renewing itself for a new story. And um, sometimes, I when you're right, um, when you're close to finishing or you're close to touring, you have called me up and gone, Caroline. Am I doing the right thing? And you'll sort of be like, I'm not sure about the play anymore, and you have these little moments of. Um, uh, questioning, I suppose. Does that happen yeah. most times you do a play? Um, yeah, about once a day. <laughs> once a day. <laughs> does what? Does it always? Does the play always? Maybe self doubt. Part of creative. Yeah. I hope. Anyway, I think. But, so. Yeah, I have that all the time. Okay. Of course. And now I've finally got to the point where I've got a. A list of friends mm. who will now be like, "You do this every time. <laughs> you will be fine. <laughs> you haven't forgotten how to do it. It, it, it. This is an important part of the process, and and I just about can bring myself to believe them yeah. because it's happened so many times. But yeah, but it still happens. Yeah, of course. And how do you feel like the first time you um the like on the first the first show the first performance of um whatever show you're working on how, what's that feeling like? Um, about half an hour before you're about I, to get on. Exactly as you would imagine it to be. Mm. So, um, terrifying, exhilarating, um, empowering all of the all of those mm. things that you would imagine. Um, I kind of miss not being in shows mm. um, because there's something really, really exciting about just being a director and putting all of the all of your energies and work into sort of helping this to, this ship float, and then you you've just got to let go and sit back and watch and see see what happens, and then you know what works and what doesn't what doesn't work. And then you can sort of shape it from there. Whereas, unfortunately, if you're in it, mm. which I have been um, for the last couple of shows, which is great and it's fun, and it means that I can sort of extend my involvement in the in the story, which is maybe a little bit selfish, but it's I don't know, it's, it's addictive, it's good, and mm. it also provides me with another job yeah. to do in the meantime. But, um, but I can't watch it, so I can't entirely ever know. Mm. Um, I'm just going to have to rely on 
on other people's opinion on what worked and was not. And that's I miss that. So there is more anxiety, I think, since I've been performing in it, of sort of trying to find um because obviously you want you want lots of people to like it. You know some people won't like it and that's also fine. Good. Mm. Um but it's sort of having people that I know know my work and me well enough to know what I value um the most in a theatre piece and they can watch it and then give me critical productive feedback mm. which um doesn't destroy me <laughs> so so that that's like a new level of anxiety that I have how do you take critics I suppose criticism at all it's I mean everyone's a critic yeah um and it it you just sort of have to if it's really it basically if you if you trust the person you know the person you know their taste and um and you're on a similar wavelength it can be so useful and just wonderful and great mm. um so that's that's helpful um like but then also um there's there's nothing worse than um being at a sort of stage in your process when you're sort of trying to communicate something and or you have communicated something to so many people and then it is completely lost on others and there's that having to accept that you know some people are just not going to get it yeah. <laughs> they're not, you know, not going to get it and that's cool mm. um but at, in the time you're just like better times <laughs> fuck you all <laughs> <laughs> so it's i mean i don't know it's up and down is that usually the things that um that you know what's wrong with something you know what fails mm. and um it's it's just working out how to remedy those things and it takes a while like it takes trial and error mm. um and the people whose opinion I trust the most are nearly always like they're the creatives I like I work with or have worked with or sort of have that sort of understanding mm. and nearly always it comes in the in the sort of shape of ideas and suggestions that can improve the piece and that's just great mm. um but yeah I mean reviewers and critics there it's hard to look so often they're like oh, oh I didn't get this yeah <laughs> or they're like overly um loving it and then you just feel really conflicted about that as well so why do you feel conflicted about that I feel conflicted because it's an incredibly a personal and vulnerable thing to make a play mm. and then put it on and um usually be in it mm. and um it's uh even if it's like they're really autobiographical or anything like that but it's still a little bit of your soul that you sort of laid on the table mm. and um I don't know. It's it's just it's a it's a tricky thing. It's like you want it to be sort of almost taken away from yourself in some way that people you want people to not know that it's you. Mm. Um. So any strong, like any comment 
feels both deeply personal and um, like terrifying at the same time. Hmm. And so, and that's even that's even with something positive. Yeah. So, like, you have that feeling of like, oh wow, great, people like it. They, it's meaningful. It's got a purpose in this world. And then, and then you're like, oh, but why am I trying to impress this person? I don't know who they are. I don't even know if they've got good taste. <laughs> um, what is good taste? What is art? And then subsequent um, like crisis of um, identity <laughs> and creative purpose and shoots. Um, which just, is why it's just best to just, for me, just to keep making stuff and working and analysing myself and not worrying too much about, like, how how popular it is or yeah. any of that. How are you with social media? I'm getting better. Because mm. um, obviously we have to because yeah. we're all in lockdown. And it's... I, I'm naturally a bit of a technophobe, but mm. I've been working on that part of myself um, in recent years because I think it's important. Yeah. Um, not, I, it's never going to be a complete part of me, but uh, you know, I don't, there's no reason just to shut some, shut out at all. But you know, when you're not, when you're not out performing or doing things with other people, um, social media becomes very much your, your link to your, your peers and your tribe mm. and when I when I don't have that in the, when I'm not in the same room then it becomes very easy for me to create things and put things on social media and comment and read stuff and yeah. be involved in that because I'm hungry for that interaction yeah as soon as my concern is that as soon as like the the business of of the arts starts to like come to life again mm. Um, all of the work that I put into doing stuff on social media will just fall by the wayside because I'll be too busy having a life, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> doing things in the real world. But I'm going to try and uh, work it more into my routine, or sort of in the same way that I've, I'm learning that it's, it's a good idea to document what you do. Yeah, <laughs> um, I never used to do that, like take pictures and and sort of keep a record and then. As I do that, I just try and make a point of putting it on Facebook or put it on Instagram. Mm. And it, do, it does mean that you, you have a bit more connection with your audience and um, particularly like with the, um, the Romney Marsh sort of connection. Um, we've got quite a lot of people there who are sort of from rural Kent and they, they respond and it's nice because you get a sense of what, what people are interested in and mm. who you're speaking to and um and that that's it's good to know. It's good to know your audience, I think. Um but yeah, so I'm I'm improving <laughs> with social media. So main I have a smartphone. I know you do have a smartphone now. That's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so social media has become a little easier because of lockdown, you're saying. And how else have yeah. you found lockdown? Has, has it brought out your creativity or has it inhibited it at all? Have you been inspired by what we're going through? Is it is COVID-19 going to feature in the next play? Zoe, that's what we all want to know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm really fascinated in what will happen after COVID-19. The premise for the next show, in my mind, it's it's about telling stories to 
um I suppose it's it's for young people mm. um not necessarily children but um a younger crowd I think they particularly rural touring is really really focused on um retired middle class people mm. um which is you know, it's great that they go to the theatre, but I, I think that there is a very neglected other audience um, in rural areas that it's just sort of assumed that they, they're not interested mm. or they don't need theatre or live performance. You know, so it's um, for young people where the future is completely uncertain. Mm. And what, what do we do when old structures in our old um, comfort zones have been completely smashed? Mm. and how do we build a, a new world so that's sort of where I am with it um but no doubt it will be influenced by my time now because I don't know what will come mm. and um we're all in this sort of strange limbo and it's interesting for me because obviously I'm having a baby yeah. in less than three months yeah. so for me there never is going to be a normal no. again like, <laughs> I'm in this sort of lockdown period where the whole world is readjusting and reevaluating um what what's important to us and and thinking about our relationships and what is necessary and, and what we just busied ourselves with mm. and obviously not so some people they don't have the luxury of they're just trying to um survive against mm. the sort of onslaught of challenges that this has brought but i think for me um actually that um that little breather because mm. fortunately my my kid is as yet in the womb so mm. it's not like a constant demand on me I've had this time to go okay right what what is going on what is going on in the world what is important what do I care about um and I'm not anxious for the world to get back to normal no I know a lot of people like when when are we going to go back to normal again? When and mm. there never will be a normal for me anyway. There never was. Mm. My world is just going to be turned upside down, and I have no real expectation or understanding mm. of what that means. Um, but there's going to be a new me anyway because I'm going to be a mum. Yeah. So I'm just sort of waiting anyway for the see what happens over the edge of this little precipice. Mm. And so COVID-19 is almost sort of um, convenient timing mm. for that. Mm. Um, creatively, it hasn't really affected me either way. I, I mean, I've always got something I'm working away on. Yeah. Um, it's just sort of, that's just part of life and that will just adapt to whatever circumstances I'm in. And at the moment, I just don't know when they will be released or where where they will be. They'll sort of come out into the world, but Mm. that doesn't stop me making stuff and doing stuff. Um, So again, otherwise, what what would I do? (laughs) Like, what would I do with myself and my time? I mean, obviously, eating, walking the dog, um, a few other sort of things that sort of pin life together, interacting with the few people you're allowed to see but mm. apart from that it's like that that is my that's my bulk of existence is sort of being a being a maker in some way or other yeah um, 
Yeah. Because, you, yeah, you're always making, always. Like, whether it's theatre or you you make your own clothes, you make, um, you're just constantly creating things out of thin air. Well, it's not out of thin air. It's just moving stuff around. Yeah. <laughs> That's what, you're very um, good at it. <laughs> my boyfriend, uh, he says life is just moving stuff around. Who says that? And it is, like, I'm not making things out of nothing. No. I'm just taking things that are already there, rearranging them a little bit. He even said, with my, like, even the clothes you see that I've made, I mean, I'm just taking some fabric that I might have found from somewhere or someone's given me or whatever and an, someone else's idea and like mulch them together and they turn out to be something and they everything seems like it's original and I suppose everything is. Mm. Do you think that there is still room for original thought in this world? <laughs> it's both. <laughs> it's both, isn't it? Uh, the, the reason why I laughed then was... Um, for when we were quoting Lauren Hill, everything is everything. Obviously, everything we say is come from somewhere. Yeah. Like we we cannot be complete. We don't exist in a vacuum. No. And if we existed in a vacuum, we probably would have no thoughts. Mm. <laughs> We'd just be like, oh. Mm. Um, but everything that um, new is create, which is created new, always has its own twist. Mm. Um, it always is new because it's existing off the back of all of the work of everything that's happened before. Mm. I mean, sometimes people do just bang out the same old boring ideas and we mm. have the same patterns and it, we really haven't sort of challenged that. Um, and I think your job as an as an artist is just as much as possible sort of try and um sway things off the more obvious course mm. but you yeah I mean there's only a few stories really and any new stories that you come up with are probably inspired by things well for me they're, they're inspired by things I've overheard on a train or have happened to me or like at the very least I'm they've come to me in a dream you know so yeah. I, it's not like I've just plucked them out of nowhere yeah You're... and some people really are great at coming up with revolutionary ideas like they really are yeah um but even then that's got to have come from somewhere I think and it doesn't it doesn't mean that what, what comes out of it is not new it's just it's is part of something that will then lead on to something else that will then lead on to something else. Do you, um, are most of your plays a little bit political? Uh, it's all art is political, mm. isn't it? I don't know. I, I'm too close to my work. I think probably it is quite political at the moment. Mm. Usually when there's a lot in the world to be cross about, mm which is most of the time, mm. particularly under a Tory government, <laughs> um, you can't help that things become a little bit political because you're you're looking at issues that matter. Yeah. But I also think it's art oh, shouldn't be propaganda and I don't really want to force my own agenda on anyone and also um, it's so much more satisfying to watch something that has got no for me anyway that 
has um, a lot of questions that it asks, but no real conclusions. Mm. Um, or you sort of have to tie them to, together yourself, and you have opposing characters which um, are sort of you can relate to mm. on both sides, but they they have very they stand for very different things. Um, um, but yeah, I mean, they, the last few have been more political I suppose because they've addressed um yeah issue, current issues like and you've the refugee crisis yeah. and the environment and in the looker it was I suppose it's more about um sort of how society divides out usefulness mm. and um and it's about um how we measure people through capital and so that you know they're edging on being more political but then the the sort of historical um plays that I wrote weren't really but then they sort of did tie up to other things they're just slightly more subtle yeah yeah I I don't really have like a a political agenda with things I'm I'm just telling some stories really um and hopefully they will be useful to people or um, sort of take take people on a little journey yeah. for a little while, which I think is sort of good for the mind. A little holiday from real life, and and maybe sort of look at things slightly differently. Possibly, who knows? Are there any plays that you've written that you wish you hadn't? No, they're all part of where I am now. You know. There's always like the slight cringe factor yeah, do you about have that? Yeah. show, I imagine. Mm. But for me, like, there's a slight element of being, but you know when you look back at yourself when you're younger yes. and you're so full of conviction yes. and you know so little. <laughs> and, and it is hard to look back and not be like, oh. <laughs> especially because it was something that was... Um, sort of very experimental and quite radical and did involve me being completely naked for the entire show. <laughs> Which incidentally <laughs> was the first play I took my stepfather to of yours <laughs> without knowing that that was going to be what the play was about. But anyway, well, it, but it was great. Yeah, it, so the, but it was... There's a part that, like, you know, looks back and goes, oh, God, what was I doing? <laughs> but then if I hadn't have done that, I... Like and also, again, you have to expose yourself to the onslaught of people's opinion. Yeah. Um, but it's a, it was a baptism of fire. Um, it stops you caring so much about um, slipping, and you you have to fail. Yeah. Like it's and like you have you have to do things that are, that don't work. That that's part of just existing, and not just as an artist, but as a, a human that progresses. Totally. And so I've done a few, I, I don't think I regret, it. no, I, I definitely don't regret any sabotage play I've ever done. Mm. Um, there are shows that I've done with other people that I'm not going to go into the details of mm. um, that maybe I do regret. Oh, really? <laughs> um, but maybe I think um, that that was, I don't want anyone to know about this <laughs> occasion. <laughs> particularly in my sort of early days yeah. of just sort of doing anything that comes along yeah. um, but also like most of them are a funny story uh, if I 
I always sort of look back at them fondly, yeah. um, not for the time, but just to think, oh, wow, what are the ridiculous things that I've got myself into and bounced back out of, and, and that was fine. Mm. It was just fine. It's mm. tra- Everyone's forgotten about it anyway, yeah. and it's on to the next thing. And they, that's what I really like about doing theatre is that that sort of transitory um, rebirthing process of project after project after project, and some things come back, and but it's you're never getting stuck mm. in one thing. Mm. You're no, and you can never sort of rely on the success of this last thing or whatever. You just have to constantly be renewing yourself all the time. Mm. Um. So so yeah. No, I don't. Even, even the the cringy things I've done, I don't. I don't regret them. Good wouldn't necessarily want to show them off or do them <laughs> but, <again. laughs> but um, I don't regret them happening in the first place how's how pregnancy been it has um it sort of slowed me down a little bit mm. um it's um given me a sort of natural leaning towards thinking about um childhood and youth mm. and new stories and what it's like to sort of come into the world now Mm. um and that is influencing the plays I want to make Mm. at least the next few years this influenced other things where I'm going how can I do this whilst also having a child like Mm. I how how is this going to work and Mm. so um what I've been thinking like how I've been working out like, oh, I'm quite interested in doing, I want to do a show that completely packs down really, really small and can be taken on a train and things that can be really spontaneous yeah. and things that need less gump around them. Um, and also um, work for sort of younger, younger children yeah. probably is sort of creeping into my my um my storytelling because naturally it would do because yeah. that's what's on my mind. Yeah. Um, so that's affected me. Um, physically, it's a bit strange. Like my, I realised that basically my body hadn't changed pretty much since puberty. <laughs> <laughs> and then suddenly I can't put on my socks and mm. so I'm sort of waddling around and then I get quite tired and then I'm looking at all of these other sort of pregnant women on the on Facebook with like totally bossing it yeah. and doing workouts and I'm like, oh what no. it's um, all lies. But yeah, well, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> but they were but I've got to remember I wasn't working out before I was pregnant. Oh, <laughs> so I don't know why I'm suddenly expected to do it now. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so it's sort of coming to terms with that idea of adjustment of like I'm going, what is what's necessary mm. um what's productive for me what is um what what's useful and what's just me beating myself up for no reason because I feel like I should be achieving something or I should be doing better or I should be not wasting this time or whatever mm. and um dealing with that kind of judgment being forced to do it which again sort of happens when your work is really cut away and you're going okay well I've got more time I've got no money um 
but I'm existing in this world, so what 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 am I gonna do? Mm. And that obviously affects your creativity and what what you choose to do mm. to a certain degree. Um have you been able to just oh, relax and stuff? But um yeah, pregnancy, I don't know. I think also yeah, babies, thinking about them and sort of creative solutions to sort of just having a baby in your life. Yeah. Like how it's quite exciting the idea of having something that I literally really just don't know anything about. I'm sort of I'm learning, I'm trying to read books, <laughs> but no idea really how to prepare for this. Yeah. And so my brain is just completely turned upside down and inside out. And that must affect me as yeah. a storyteller. Yeah. Which is quite exciting. It's quite exciting. <laughs> All right, cool. You mentioned the flying seagulls. Did you want to talk about that a little bit more? They are a charity that works with families in crisis. They've been focusing mainly in the last few years on um, the refugee crisis. Mm. Um, and they work with children. They go out to all places all over the world and they do sort of social circus. So they play games, they do circus shows, they um, do um, activities and workshops with children um, in refugee camps or just all sorts of crazy places. Mm. And um, I went out to Lebanon for mm. my first trip. And then the second one, we went out to Athens mm. and some of the islands. And that was, we were like working in anarchist squats and um, refugee camps. And then last um, October to December, I um, was working um, in, on the island of Samos with them. Mm. And that's when um, I brought a puppet and we sort of brought that into it as mm. well. And, um, yeah, I mean, they're a bunch of clowns, really, yeah. really amazing hard workers. Um, the idea is it's about that everyone has the right to play and mm. laughter. Mm. Uh, doesn't matter what your circumstances, it shouldn't just be about um, clothing and food. Yeah. And sh- they, those are really important. But like play is essential part of children's development. Yeah. Um, if they don't have that space to play, um, it's going to really, really affect their ability to sort of exist in society afterwards later and, you know, hopefully they'll be able to be rehomed and end up in schools and work and like, that's not going to happen if they can't develop properly as mm. children mm. and that means that you, they need they need to play, yeah. they need to express themselves, they need to bond with other kids, they need to laugh, they need to not just be in that state of constant trauma all the yeah. time even though obviously most of them are very very traumatized yeah. um and so they i mean it varied from project to project when we were in samas they they would because they couldn't do anything in the afternoon um because greeks will have a nap for the entire afternoon so these days when i'm pregnant that just sounds like a great idea <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, at the time we found it's got in the way of our activities somewhat. Mm. You went, we went in the morning, and then they, they had sort of it's sort of structured play. There's a lot of call and response. There's songs. Mm. There's games that all of the children learn how to play mm. together, and there's quite a lot of repetition around that. And you just sort of and lots of things in 
to do in circles. Mm. Um, and then um, they have like a little break and then they have like a free play session where they play with circus toys usually. Mm. Um, and sometimes they have sort of workshops in how to do juggling or um, devil sticks or unicycle or um, acrobatics, all of that sort of thing. Um, or they can just sort of play with the hula hoops and stuff. Mm. And then in the evening, there would be a show. Okay. So that would be um, comedy, magic, clowning acts, and then whatever any of the performers had to bring. Mm. So and for me, that was puppet shows. So I do like little puppet shows mm. for them, make up with this, this puppet that I had, and I made them all up when I was there. Mm. And um, but then you know you had some some performers like there was one guy who's his um his special skill was balancing stuff on his chin, mm. so he just balanced stuff on his chin, bigger and bigger and bigger stuff. <laughs> or you'd have like amazing acrobats or silks performers or things like that, and they'd have that in the evening. Mm. And then sometimes they'd have like cinema, they'd set up a cinema for them, and wow. then they'd also have a disco. Wow, which was. Bloody great. Yeah. <laughs> that was my favourite night, disco night. I am very happy to say that since the recording of this podcast, Zoe gave birth to a baby boy. Mama, Papa and Baby are all doing well. Thank you, Zoe, for sharing your insight with me and tips for seeing ideas through. We Are Not Shellfish will be showing at Theatre Royal in Bury St Edmunds on 30th of May this year. Follow Zoe on Instagram at Sabotage Theatre to be the first to know when tickets go on sale. You can also check her website out, sabotagetheatre.com, to stay up to date with all things sabotage related. Tickets will be sold through the Theatre Royal box office, so be sure to check in with them too and snap one up when tickets become available. They are theatreroyal.org. The arts has taken a pretty savage beating over the past year, and I for one cannot wait to get back to supporting brilliant artists like Zoe as soon as theatres open. Tune in next time to throw more topics of conversation down the hole. In the meantime, stay safe. Bye!